welcome to Seven Elite Academy Masterclass Online Sessions. Uh, today, we're joined by uh, another top guest, uh, a coach that has been in the, uh, the girls game for plenty of years. A coach that's coached at some of the top clubs around uh, the northwest area of the, the UK. And, uh, and that coach is uh, Martin Holt. Martin, thanks for joining us today. Uh, thanks for taking the time out and uh, joining us on this uh, Masterclass session. No, thanks for having me, Ante. Um, no, really appreciate it. And obviously, with these times at the moment, um, with them being difficult, it's obviously yeah. good to connect and good to talk and still be able to talk a little bit of football as well as obviously being reduced and restricted to being in your house. 100%, Martin. You know, it's, it's crazy times, isn't it, at the moment? don't think kind of anyone has kind of been in a situation like this. And, you know, for, for us, the team that we love kind of been taken away from us uh, in, in every single way imaginable. Um, it, it is great that we can we can have these sessions and, and just talk football. So, um, but for for our listeners out there, Martin, who, who don't know uh, about yourself and so on, you know, uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself, about your kind of coaching journey, where it kind of started to to where it is now. So, it started when I was when I finished playing back when I was seventeen, eighteen, and. Um, Looked at, wanted to get into coaching, started doing my badges when I was younger, which was important for me to make sure I obviously I stayed in football. Um, worked on a little bit of work at the County FA with their representative squads and um, went to America and done some work. Um, obviously then was in England working at, in the UK, back in the Northwest with Everton, was part of um, working in their boys' setup with the with the phases there. Um, had the opportunity to be around some top top coaches back then and when it was around them in terms of around under 23s and some ex-pros in terms of they Unsworth, John Ebrill, um, Franny Jeffers, people like that, being able to tap into their experiences and knowledge which was important for me. Um, then was lucky enough to be, be given an opportunity of being the assistant manager of the women's first team in the, the women's super league um, which was a real good role and opened my eyes up to more elite level coaching in mm -hmm. terms of what it's like at the top level to to work with elite players and what you've got to do in those environments and how you can create a good environment and culture. Um, and then moved on from Everton and went to Liverpool and obviously become a technical director and under-21 head coach, um, looking over the youth setup, yeah. making sure that we've got a clear pathway that's structured and um, that the players and parents can see um, and making sure that we produce the next best players for the women's first team um, from under-21s, which was really, really good. And, the last season I was at, obviously Liverpool was was good. We obviously we had a lot of players, we had a lot of continuity going from age group to age group. Um, the under twenty ones won the league and the plate in the in their first season um, as a WSL academy team, which was really really good and showed obviously how far we come as a club. Um, and then obviously now I've moved on to obviously a new chapter, and a new journey now at Manchester United. Um, I think I've only got one more to conquer in the northwest, um, <laughs> but. Yeah, do you know what? Manchester United now, yeah, I'm in a real good place. Um, got fire back in my stomach wanting to coach. Um, got a real, real good job in terms of supporting and working with the under-21s um, yeah. alongside Charlotte, the head coach, and then support Casey with the first team on the pitch every day. So um, I've been given so many good opportunities and I'm grateful for them. Um, but this one at Manchester United now, I'm really, really excited about with a, a club and probably a pioneer, and being honest, a pioneer in women's and men's football in terms of a club that does things right and wants to be successful and has always been successful. 
mm-hmm. um, in those days from the men's with Sir Alex Ferguson and, and prior to that. And now with obviously Casey, obviously taking the, the women's team now and has got promoted from the women's obviously championship and now is in the Super League and is doing exceptionally well. Um, so being able to work alongside obviously that first team and, and Casey and support her and the staff, um, but also work with the next crop of young players after the under-21s um, with support and Charlotte with the under-21s. So now I'm in a real good place at the moment in terms of coaching and hopefully this journey now with Manchester United will be a big one. And do you know what? They don't really come much bigger, let's be honest, than, than Manchester United, you know, despite, you know, what's kind of currently where they are in, in terms of the, the men's team and so on. Yeah. But as a, as, a, as a club, as a brand, again, you know, they're, they're still a powerhouse, aren't they, within the game? And, and let's, you know, keep on a little bit on the subject of the current situation that we're, we're in now. Yeah. Um, and you, yourself at Manchester United, you know, just talk us through uh, kind of what your, your current, like, weekly schedule is, you know, through this uh, COVID-19 situation that, that you're having with your, with your players and your team. Yeah, so it's, a, it's obviously a lot different. You've got no pitch access and... But now you see the power and how strong the tool of technology is. Um, how do we stay connected? Um, whether that's if that's a staffing group, so how we look from probably a Monday to a Monday to Sunday, we probably look in terms of on a Monday, uh, us as under twenty ones group, um, which are leading, we'll have a obviously a call online, a webinar call with the players, um, to touch base and see how they are, see if they've got any issue, any issues or any requests that they want to put towards us. Um, and we're just checking what they've been doing and trying to keep that continuity between us and that, obviously, morale. Um, we set them tasks throughout the week, so they're doing a lot of, which is good, they're doing a lot of um, well-being tasks in terms of getting to know each other better. So they'll send a pitch in of something that relates to them and we have to guess who it is and things like that. Um, they're doing a lot of cooking, so they're doing cooking challenges. We set a, um, a different country. and someone, you've got everyone, You can take part if you want, you don't have to, but everyone seems to do it, um, where they'll cook a dish. And then I get voted for by the staff at the end of it of who's cooked the best dish. And have you have you done one yet, Martin? I haven't done none yet. <laughs> <laughs> Man, we going straight in the bin, aren't um, But yeah, so we're trying to keep busy by setting them tasks and obviously, obviously having calls online with them. We're doing quizzes with them throughout the week to try and just try and keep connected, which is the biggest part. So they don't feel like we're getting a bit distant and we don't care and things like that. So we're trying to do as much as we can. But as staff. We're looking a lot round now, and is what you've been touching on at Seven Elite is we're re- reviewing and reflecting what we've done and then knowing that what can we do moving forward if our seasons are to be postponed and we have to look at next season, what are we doing to be in a better position now because we've got time to do it. Yeah. So are we continually trying to evolve what's in place now at, at the club and are we trying to make sure that we're a pioneer going forward? Um, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to do a lot of reflecting and stuff and we have calls every week as staff on different stuff we're doing, but we're looking at also our self-development. So a lot of us as staff are, have got opportunities to do different courses online and through different organisations, which is good. Um, but we're not wasting any time at this moment in time, which I think is key, that you can connect and speak to other coaches. We can connect and speak to one another. We're putting different tasks in place for the players and staff to take part in to keep us connected. And then we're doing a lot of reflecting, which is the key part for me. And that's... And I was also going to ask you this question, Martin, you know, just for you personally and professionally as well, uh, from a coaching point of view, again, you know, this game that's away from us, you know, what is it that you're kind of doing just yourself to kind of keep in kind of contact with the game, keep in contact with your own kind of self-development, just keep in contact with your love and passion for the game? So I'm doing a lot of, this is probably 
an exciting part for me and because you don't get to, you get to do probably part of it and real small part of it when you're in season as you know because you're on hands on all day and it's really busy in the long hours um, but I'm doing a lot of kind of self-development things around looking at master classes online um, and what ones I can watch whether I've watched them before and I need to watch them again to refresh um, and there's a lot I've been able to watch stuff with the PFA online I've been able to watch stuff with the FA online obviously through the access we get um, there's a lot at the moment um, in terms of webinars going about. Um, there's webinars with the FA. I watched a really good one yesterday with Phil Neville and how he's transitioned. Mm -hmm. um, but it had, I think it had eight different um, members of the technical staff throughout and from different parts of the country in different roles. And that was good just to be able to sit there and listen. So webinars are the key one. But it's making sure that when you, you go on these webinars that it's not just to fill some time. It's kind of a way of you want to develop. Because yeah. It's easy to put it on and just listen just to kill a couple of hours, obviously, because we get a lot of boredom does kick in at times. We're making sure that when we do go on these webinars that we give ourselves an opportunity to learn and develop. And I do a lot of reading. I probably try and read at least a book a month. Um, and that's just because I learn. I learn by doing a lot of reading, to be totally honest. Yeah. Sitting there and watching, I can learn and listen to people. So why, why I like the webinars is because someone's talking and I can listen to it. Um, the reading side is massive for me because... I like to learn about certain areas of the game that I haven't learned before. Oh, but I've learned a little bit and more, to be honest, around how all the professionals work in terms yeah. of not just in football. So I've read a bit about Eddie Jones. Um, I've read loads of stuff on the All Blacks and how they create an environment and culture. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just trying to find out from different sports how we can incorporate little small gems of what they do to make themselves be the best. And a big one for me at the moment, which is obviously utilised a lot by everyone who's talked a lot, is the obviously the psychology part in terms of how we how we make the brain work in a way we want it to work and I've read some books in terms of recently in terms of and it's, it comes down to real little points in terms of how we sleep and things like that which is a real good book on why we sleep and um, that was interesting in terms of how we make the mind and how we get the blood circulation and the oxygen going through the brain at the right time to make us sleep and how we settle down at the right time so that was another one I've read which is really good um, and then Another one I'm trying, we're trying to do more of is trying just have trying to connect with anyone on social media who you can and ask them for do you want to have a discussion, do you want to have a web call and people you might never have met, but it, it opens up a big wide network for you then in terms of when you move forward in your career, in terms of you know people you can go to and ask for advice and support and it just helps you probably long term, but probably the self-development things around masterclasses, webinars, reading, connecting with people I haven't connected with before, and then watching a lot of football that I've watched previously or just watching games online that I can, I can find um, which probably a part we don't do enough of I don't believe probably in England especially young players because um, we probably don't watch enough football with a different eye um, we probably watch all the goals that go in but if we watch a game from start to finish from minute one to minute 90 do we analyse the game as a player as well as we probably can do with someone in my position potentially um, so probably watching more football and it's probably been a key part for me too being able to try and expand my knowledge you know, I couldn't agree anymore, to be honest, Martin. It's definitely something that me, myself, and, and I've been speaking to, of course, you know, a lot of friends who are coaches, fairy academies and so on. We actually don't really kind of put ourselves through enough self-development, especially if you you know when you're in the academy system, every single week, it's it's full on, isn't it? Yeah, the definitely. Game, the games, programs and so on. And I'm quite right. Yeah, of course, you do learn the game from being on the pitch. But then yeah, you do that, utilize all the resources 
of kind of self-educating yourself yeah. from again from a technology point of view the webinars the books and so yeah. on as much i think as we would actually like to so i think it's a it's a great point what you've just touched on there and i think i think again you know this kind of crisis is kind of opening up a lot of people's eyes yeah from is. an opportunity point of view as well to kind of reflect on yourself and, and what more you can potentially do mm -hmm. and what more the that there is on offer yeah. to, to become a you know better coach and so on. So, but while we're still on the uh, the subject now of like yourself and Manchester United and you've been there now for you know a good few months. So again, we talked earlier on how big of a club that is. Yeah. You know, how has that been for you? You know, joining such a club like like that and and, and how how have you settled into it? Do you know what I've really enjoyed it since obviously I've joined and it's been it's been a breath of fresh air. I've got such good support around me. The environment and culture that's being created, that's by the staff that are in place, um, is unbelievable. Um, it's well-driven. They've got standards set. They have benchmarks that, that you've got to hit. And um, the staffing group's unbelievable. They've got a great support mechanism around me in terms of if I need advice and support, if I need anything, um, I can get it. I know I can go to any of the staff from Casey at the top, coming down to us at 21s. Um, I can utilise any member of staff I need. I've got support throughout the club, whether that's at the top of the club or through to the bottom of the club. Um, I've got every bit of support I need throughout the hierarchy table and um, the family feel with it, it's brilliant. It's, I've obviously been in a lot of clubs and it's probably a thing that things people say all the time in terms of, oh, you get a real family club and you get a family feel. But this has been really good in terms of, I've seen, you see the difference now in these times and how yeah. close and how um, family orientated the clubs are. Mm -hmm. in terms of what they do now for, for staff and players and what Man United are doing now for the players and staff is incredible. Um, and that goes from resource in terms of what we get, in terms of what we get for resources, whether that's on the pitch or off the pitch. Uh, we're well looked after. Um, and, you know, yeah, since I've joined, I haven't got a problem. I haven't got kind of any query about what we do. It's, it's a well-run club with really, really well-driven people who've got the same mindset, um, which is a growth mindset in terms of where they want to go. Um, and yeah, with, with Casey at the top of it, working in the women's side, which I can specifically relate to. Um, yeah, she's she's one of the best in terms of who'll work with 100% and she'll have a bright future because she's well-driven and, and works extremely, extremely hard to get what she wants. But she's very, very level-headed in terms of where she wants to go. Um, so no. Yeah, and then, you know, Casey, I, I remember spending... Uh, a good few modules on the A license with Casey while she was kind of you know wrapping her A license off and um, yeah I you know I had first opinions and first thoughts was this. what I really liked about Casey in particular is she she had her own opinions on the game she had yeah. her own kind of style her own thoughts and and she was strong with them thoughts as well which I thought well that you know you 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 got to give someone a lot of credit around that, especially when you're sitting around it on a course full of ex pros and so on, and she yeah. was like admins and so on. And again, the coaching delivery was really really strong, and and that was that was before she actually uh, went uh, and got the position at Manchester United. And um, I think it was while she was um, Phil Neville acting yeah. as, as number two with England. So on, on with Casey in particular for yourself and for Charlotte. Uh, the head coach, you know, how important is your relationship then? Um, obviously, you, Charlotte, with Casey, you know, feeding players, obviously, to which in, in an ideal world, that's what you want to be doing into the actual first team. So, you know, just talk us through your relationship, what it looks like, how it's going to be. 
Um, so we work obviously next to each other in offices, um, which is good. So you get that continuity and that relationship, and yeah. we've got that opportunity to kind of go in and utilize Casey if we need anything, and, and our first team staff. Um, so obviously before I come in pre-January, um, pre obviously there was I think there was three players who had made um, their debut in the, from the 21s in the first team uh, from the start of that season in September. Um, and then obviously since I've been in since January, um, obviously the relationship with Casey's been good. It's tight. She wants to know um, how the players are getting on, what we're doing. Um, she wants to know who's striving and who's not. Um, she wants to make sure that she has every bit of information on the players that we've got in, in the the under-21 squad so she can paint a picture moving forward in terms of not now but maybe two, three seasons time of what it could look like and another girl made a debut around March time in terms of from the under-21s at 18 year old and she's Casey's one of them who we obviously keep close contact with um, but we'll give opportunity when the right time comes and my relationship with her I can't create we speak on a daily basis obviously I get the opportunity and so does Charlotte to to be around the first team on a on a daily basis with them players and with her staff, which is good. And being able to be around that environment to see how she works and her work ethic in terms of on the pitch, um, the way she conducts herself around the players and how she delivers things on a daily basis. But the biggest thing for me is how much of a, a role model she is off the pitch. Yeah. she's She's got a big, powerful presence, but a real, real down-to-earth and really well-grounded person. Um, and I believe in my opinion should be put one of the best, if not the best in the world football, given time to really implement and put things in place, their model in place in the future years. She's only been coaching in the WSL now for two years. And I believe if she's, when the opportunity comes in terms of um, to kick on and move forward, I believe she can take Manchester United to another level. I really do um, because of the way she does things. Um, and I've got, I've got a bad word at all. No, I don't think I would have a bad word to say about her because She's given me opportunity to work with under-21s. She's given me the opportunity to be around their first team. Um, but yeah, our relationship is really close in terms of making sure she knows who's coming through and who's not. But she's what I really like about her answer in terms of the way she does things. So when our under-21s play games over Wednesday, yeah. um, she comes to every game. She's at every single game watching. When we train, she's, she comes out on the pitch numerous times, 70-80% of the time she's out on the pitch watching us train. So that for the players and for the players especially, that's that's key. That you see that as a player and parent, that the first team manager is watching your daughter train 80, 90% of the time. She's watching the games every single time we play over Wednesday. Um, that, that's massive. But then for us to know that she's coming to watch in terms of the work we're doing. So it's not just kind of like it's put on a back burner. Um, and she takes a lot, a lot of pride in the youth development and wants to bring youth players through. And I think you can see that with the squad she's got now. It's a relatively young squad. Yeah. And it's it's a it's a lot of players who have come through the youth setup at Manchester United who might have previously had to move away. Um so yeah, their relationship with myself and Charlotte's really, really close. Um but you wouldn't want any other way because it shows how much she then cares about the youth development. Yeah, I think it's it's massive, isn't it, Martin? I, you know, especially within the girls' game, you know, you we're looking to kind of grow this game nationally and so on and for that, we you know we're looking to bring more quality, obviously yeah. through first team level, and I think yeah. it's really important that kind of any first team manager operates the way that you're explaining Casey does, and you know myself, I you know you know I wish it all all the luck in the world on, on that. So, but while we're still on the the subject of Manchester United, yeah, for me, uh, I, I can only think of uh, one other person 
to do what you've actually done, Martin. Uh, I think it's Peter Bearsley, you know, that has, you know, been at Everton, being at Liverpool, being at Manchester United. <laughs> I can't think of anyone else that's done that show. I think there's only you and Peter Bearsley that hold that record. But while we're still on the subject of Manchester United, yeah. you know, what, what is it that you, you have been part of two other huge clubs with Everton and Liverpool? You know, what is it that makes you Manchester United a little bit unique uh, a little bit different than the than the other two. Um, probably the processes, the processes and protocols in place. So everything you do has a process and a protocol in place, and there must be a rationale behind why you're doing it. And that's got to be a rationale behind. Does it make us better as a team? Does it make us better as a club? And there's probably big things that you're always questioned on, which is really good because it's kind of making you think that I can't just do something for sake of doing it. I've got to do it for the right reasons and. Um, the leadership that's in place, I, the leadership in, in terms of Casey being in place and running from the top, in terms of that's probably a big thing for me that she, she cares about what happens from her first team all the way through to the the girls' academy on the nines. She yeah. cares what happens all the way through and making sure that all those stepping stones for those players and there's a clear pathway and we can see that, but not just saying there's a clear pathway, there actually is a clear pathway, and we do utilise it and it's that leadership that you've got someone above who's driving the bus for you, if you want to say it that way. Um, someone who's driving the bus, but someone who's very supportive and welcoming. Um, and someone who's brought me in with open arms and given me absolutely everything she can possibly give me as a member of staff, and I can't ask any more of her. Um, and that's probably the difference. It's the protocol and processes in place and the, the environment we have, um, that we everything we've got, we utilise to our maximum. And we're not, that's not, um, and everyone looks at it in terms of Manchester United to have absolutely everything because of the brand and, and you know what? The women's game isn't where we want it to go and hopefully it gets to where it wants to go and I want to be a part of that. Um, but we just make sure we have a, a protocol and process in place. We've got good leadership at the top that's driving us all forward. And we, we, when we use resources, we use resources to our maximum. So we, ne we never try and look at areas where we never look for kind of faults or problems. We always look at see as an opportunity. And we look at it as an opportunity if, if something isn't right and we, we've got to get it right and how are we going to get it right with what we've got. Um, and that's probably the biggest thing that we'll always strive to be better and we're constantly evolving and developing and, um, and they're the biggest things process and protocol leadership and an opportunity yeah and, and, and keeping on the subject now of the, uh, the, the women's game yeah. so you've been in the women's game for quite a lot of time yourself Martin yeah. and myself I've only uh, I'm, I'm kind of new to it got it when in the Seven Elite Academy uh, especially over in the States my career has always been within the within the boys' game and so on. So definitely, uh, you know, put myself in kind of uncertain territory uh, yeah. around the girls' game and, and maybe not naive enough to kind of think, you know, the boys' game coaching boys is going to be the same coaching girls and so on. There is different elements to the girls' game than the boys' game. What is your thoughts then, Martin? And you have also, of course, yeah. coached, you know, within the boys' game yourself. So, you know, we, we look at kind of coaching resources, coach education programs, coaching qualifications. Do you think there needs to be some element of specialised coach education courses for if you are going to be a coach in the game? Um, and a little bit of an example, like for me, learning more about how, you know, you know the girls' kind of body movement, body mechanics, how they grow. Um, it's obviously a lot different to boys and then you're kind of coaching so it has got to be a little bit different. Do you think there's got or can there be more kind of specialised coach education courses 
uh, for the girls game rather than just your, your level one, your level two, which is just standard license. What's your opinion on, on uh, coach education going forward with girls? Um, I think in terms of coach education, I don't want to, it's hard because you don't want to separate it at the end of the day when we take it, we strip everything back, it's football. Um, yeah. And you wouldn't want to come away from it being kind of seen or treated any differently in terms of it's male or female football. Um, so I look at it in terms of, I think there can be more education in terms of what you touched on then in terms of how the body develops and how the body grows and you're looking at menstrual cycle and obviously yeah. the, the risk of injury within that and power in terms of with women, their hips are obviously, their hips are bigger and um, obviously you're, you're more receptive to an ACL injury and things like that, which research has said and how I think there can be more education around that. Yeah. Um, but I know in terms of the players I've worked with, if that's Everton, Liverpool or now Manchester United, um, these players are capable, some of these players are capable of doing more than what some men's professional players are doing, I think, personally. Um, and I would, I'd probably say in terms of coach education, I wouldn't change too much. I'd probably just touch on those areas in terms of where it becomes more female-based or it becomes more male-based is where we have our differences in terms of, yeah, menstrual cycle and things like that and injury risk. Um, I'd probably give more education around that for coaches because it's important that you understand what your female players are going through at the same time and how you can adapt and change and evolve your sessions to make sure or your training to make sure that it aligns with what they need and their needs. Um, so that's probably an important part from the coach education point of view. But I'd probably say from a footballer point of view in terms of, I think I think there could be male coaches coming into the, the female game happens anyway. I think I think you'll end up seeing and there is a few in, in a boys' academies at the moment, I think, in terms of definitely a couple I know in terms of what I've read about is there's a couple of female coaches in the boys' game and they're probably having to do the same in terms of looking at boys when they're going through the puberty stage and things like that. And yeah. So I think there'll be a lot of crossover and it's more, I think, more the education just around how the bodies are different and how those bodies grow and develop and mature. Uh, but at the end of the day, when we strip it back, as I said, football is football and yeah. Boys can do what the girls can do and the, the women can do what the men can do. And um, there'll obviously be different changes to that or there'll be different parts that um, drives the men's more than what the women's does at this moment in time. But I believe the gap can be reduced with it growing. Um, it's probably just more, you said, it's education for people around how women and men obviously differ in certain aspects. And that's more from a physical point of view in terms of the cycle they go through and how boys and men go through the obviously puberty stage. And with the actual women's game, man, you know, on the on the back of last year's World Cup, obviously, you know, England's, you know, f you know, finished there, you know, finished third and so close against the US. Very, very lucky against the US, you know, not to to, to kind of go on and maybe win that game. And and you're seeing again, you're seeing like a little bit more inspiration dripping yeah. into the into into the nation from from the from the girls game point of view and you're starting to see numbers of participants grow year upon year. From a from a younger age, from like let's say pre academy ages, yeah. do you think again that the country is is or the, the country, the FA and just like local county FAs are doing an author from just what you're seeing within academies, do you think we could be doing a lot more to be getting girls in from the age of five? Just very similar to what we do in, within the boys' game and, and growing it you know, like immensely, immensely that way. Yeah, it's in the boys' game as you know, and pre academy they're in a five, six, yeah. really, really young. And I think some clubs are going that way in terms of the women's game. Can we do more? I believe we definitely can, and that'll come through a lot more kind of 
marketing and commercial commercial stuff in terms of how we do that. How do we sell the game and promote it? Um, I think with what the success, obviously, England have had previously and how much in terms of other clubs now, Premier League clubs are backing their women's teams to go and be successful and putting that support behind them. And you start to see a lot more in terms of the women's game now growing quicker. Um, but I think we can do more in terms of, yeah, from a commercial and marketing point of view, I think we can do more to try and get girls involved. But I think it's more, it's how you get them involved and what, what limits and benchmarks and standards you set from a young age. And I think if you're looking at five, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds coming in and I think where most of the girls' football starts, yet they do have young teams. But I think a lot of them will start around a U10 age. Um, so we want them in young and that in women's football. Can we do it where they're in more of a, an environment where they're learning? So an environment where they just learn and they have enjoyment and fun to get them to fall in love with the game. Yeah. And then kind of push them through in terms of and give them those opportunities to be within a, a pathway at a club. Because obviously, as you know, with the boys and men's game, at a younger age from the boys, it's competitive to get a five, six-year-old kid. I think in women's football at this moment in time, you're not looking to... Every club's not looking to say, sign a five, six, seven-year-old kid. They're looking to get more girls engaged. And we can do that by probably having more development centres and having more satellite centres. Um, having more opportunity for girls just to come in and do a one-off session and get them to fall in love, as I said, with the game and get them want to play it. I believe it'll go bigger, but it's getting those, it's marketing it, making it commercial, available to everyone, so everyone can see what, what you're trying to do. And yeah. then making sure that you put those opportunities in place, whether that's three one-hour sessions a month, or is it a session a week where they pay a certain amount to get in and do something. But yeah, I think you've got to grow it slowly, but the marketing and commercial side will help massively in terms of getting involved. Because as you know, yeah. with it only just really starting to take off now, um, and it'll get even bigger when it does. Um, I think we're still playing a bit of catch-up in terms of trying to get people involved. And I think that from a younger age, it's just got to be more fun and enjoyment and not about how much, how competitive we are. It's more getting them to fall in love with the game early doors so we can build that kind of, you can build that player in that career. Yeah. And, and you, you're talking about like the commercial part of the game, kind of, you know, it, it's getting bigger and so on. So, yeah. so let's go back to your, your kind of, your, your beginner days within the girls game to, to where you are now. Yeah. How have you seen the, the women's game evolve over over your kind of coaching journey within the women's game? You know, what what have you seen kind of grow over the years, Martin? Yeah, it's it's gone massive. And um, from when I first come in and I was at Everton with the women's game, we were in the WSL two, as it was called, and the women's Super League two, which is now the Championship. Um, and we were looking at that, and that was we were part time. We were a part time team training four times a week with a game on a weekend, um, all the players were part-time. Um, so most of my jobs and then would come in to training in terms of in the evening, which was a, like a graveyard shift for them because they worked all day, nine till five, and they're coming in training seven till nine um, on a part-time basis. And then we obviously went from that into a full-time model when we went up to the WSL, um, the Super League, which is what they're in now at Everton. And obviously the players then went full-time and they were able to see that as a profession in their job which was testament to all the hard work all those players have put in over the years and something probably women's football deserves more. Um, so going full-time from there, which was good, and that was over a, a probably a three-year span just to go full-time. And then where I look at it now, it's drastically bigger. The league now has got more teams in it, more Premier League teams are back in the women's team. Um, you've got so many teams now in the Championship, which is the league below. Um, where you've got some teams in that who are operating full-time. And some are still obviously a lot of them still operate part time, but you've got some who are operating full time. 
Um, and then from a, as you said, from a commercial point of view, it's, it's got so much bigger. The, the support, you see the adverts on the TV, yeah. you see how much in-term involvement the female players have got within, if it's, if it's kit doing kit launches, if it's branding for big um, global partners in terms of Adidas, if it's Nike, if it's things like that. And you're seeing a lot of those brands being utilised a lot by players and by those commercial, um, yeah. obviously, operators. So when you see those sorts of people now in the game, when I look at that now compared to where it was, I didn't, you knew obviously players would have that sort of sponsorship and that sort of commercial backing, but you didn't, it's not, I don't think it was on the level it is now because the players are only part-time and now the difference in the league, it's, it's a full-time league. You've got 12 teams in it. I think that's going to keep growing and it will do. Where England have been from where they was to where they are now, the a big a big force in the women's game in terms of nationally, in terms of the lionesses, and they're competing on all fronts under Phil um, and they have under previous managers too. And I think from where it was previously to where it is now, it's massive. But I think that's only down to the commercial and marketing and the sponsorship that they get now, yeah. because there were some real good players back then that probably were able to go full time, but probably were full time at the back end of the careers. Yeah. Um, the likes of Casey who's a very very good coach and manager but was probably an even better player and understands the game ridiculously well you've got Kelly Smith who was another one yeah. um, you've got all Alex Scott and people like that who've just come out of the football um, Farrah Williams now still playing really really talented probably he's only gone full time the back end of a career um, so where it's come from now when I look at when we played against them sort of players yeah. to where we are now it's drastic the, drastic, the improvement's drastic tenfold and that's obviously, as I'm saying, it's down to the commercial marketing and sponsorship side that clubs are getting, but clubs are willing to put into their women's team, which is important. And also, so again, so that that's you're seeing the game evolve from the infrastructure, the sponsoring, teams going full time, the leagues becoming more commercialised, more stronger, you know, more funded uh, for teams to players and so on. How do you see the game grow then? From a, from a player point of view, from the quality of the player developments and, and basically what you're seeing now within the Women's Super League, within the World Cups and so on. How's the, what, what's your kind of take on the player quality over the years? I think you've got to give a lot of credit to the coaches probably and that work with them. Um, and there's some good ones. Case is one who obviously gets to work on a daily basis. Um, I've worked, obviously, you see some of the coaches in the game now, look at Emma Hayes. With Chelsea, you've got Joe Montemero, who's very successful over in Australia. He's a very good coach. Um, and you can see the way in terms of he gets his teams to play and the way he wants to play. Um, Nick Cushion, who's, who I'm a friend with in terms of what he's done at Manchester City in the space of five, six years, what he's done there in terms of evolved the whole team. Um, made them very strong in the UK in terms of in the league. For England, he made them a very grown force and a big powerhouse. Um, so I look at a lot of these players and the way the games come on and in terms of from when I look at it when I first come in um, where we actually have good technical players yeah of course you did was the speed of the game there potentially not um, but look where it is now the speed of the game is a lot quicker um, it's more eye-catching than what it was previously um, but I give a lot of credit to the staff that work with these players because whether that's from when they were young all the way through to when they're a senior player now yeah the coaches have put a lot of hours and time work into these individuals doing a lot of either if it's individual work with them or group work and then as team work when they're on the pitch and I can see now in terms of difference how more proficient they are on the ball technically um, how much more physically they're, they're periodised in terms of the season and what that looks like and yeah. how they get up to full fitness 
Um, and then what it looks like from a kind of competitive point of view, it's a lot more competitive. And it, as I said, it's really catching on the eye. There's more publicity on the telly for it now. So you've seen a lot of games on BT Sport and on the FA play that they've got, that they've made live last season. Um, so things like that that have, have changed massively. But I'd probably say a lot of credit goes to the, the staff because how much they bring those players on compared to where it was to where it is now. Because some of them have been in the game since probably two, two, early 2000s to where it is now in the last 20 years, especially like Emma Hayes and Nick who've done it really early. Um, those sorts of coaches, Matt Beard, another one who's at West Ham, those sorts of coaches need a lot of credit for how far they've brought individual and certain players who they've worked with over numerous years. Um, and it's come on leaps and bounds, yet the speed of the game is now quicker, they're technically more proficient, as I said, tactically more astute in terms of where they need to be. Um, and that'll only get better, I think, with the with obviously more coaches coming to the game from Europe or it's up and coming coaches in terms of from England getting promoted through their systems. Um, I think it'll only get better. Um, but I was trying to maintain that quality and how we maintain and keep these top managers and um, yeah. top coaches in our league, which is only going to help the brand of this league. Um, but I think this league getting spoken about now more, more, more often than not than others. Um, obviously, the NWSL plays a massive part in the US for the pull over there. But I think this league's spoken a lot now in terms of you see the international players that are coming over and they're not coming over just for the... They'll be coming over to play and have a career and obviously secure the... Some of them trying to probably secure their life for the next few years and uh, financially. But I think a lot of them are coming over because of the, the coaches and the environments they're being obviously utilised to. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, when I, you, you, you're researching the women, women's game, you're following the women's game, you can't help to think that Europe in particular... Is, is starting to really kind of kick on to and then like you said you touched on it about like US players starting to come over and you know yeah, yeah. for you know what many would just say, kind of say obvious reasons it is purely yeah. because the quality of the game is continuing to grow and the quality is, is starting to kind of sway over into, into so well to kind of then going forward in terms of growing the game even more so you know, what kind of obstacles are still kind of maybe lying in the way and, and, and what is it that we can do to kind of, you know, grow this game even more and take it on to, to levels that it's never been more? I, I do you know what? It's probably, it's, it's probably giving it the respect it deserves at the same time. Yeah. Um, not seeing any difference and not seeing girls to boys, men's to women, any difference, I don't believe. And whatever we do with the, the boys and the men's, we can do with the women's and the girls. We might not have the level of, physicality where we needed to be or we might not have the technical proficiency in terms of because how long we've still got to catch up to that and where we're trying to play but I believe the women's game can can be coached exactly the same as the men's I believe the opportunity which is probably the big one I mentioned earlier is the opportunity for the play should be the exact same so whatever the boys get the men get and that's I think a massive pull for us at the club right now in terms of Manchester United is whatever, whatever the the men's side are getting the women trying get close, well, obviously we'll get that support. Yeah. Whatever the under-21s get here at Manchester United, we'll get the same support as what the boys do. And, and that comes down to resource and what they get, obviously, off the club. But I think we just got to treat them exactly the same as what the men do and, and the boys do. We treat them exactly the same way. And it's just at the end of the day, and we strip it back. It's a game of football. Um, and we, we put on the same sessions because the girls are capable of doing these sessions that we probably don't think. Um, it might just take a little bit more time to process and get the quality we need but um, they're capable of doing things that probably some boys aren't capable of doing um, as you'll probably know from being over in the, the US um, but I wouldn't say there's, there's much we need to change we just need to obviously put the same models in place 
but understand the areas you said before when they're going through, when they're maturing and developing as people personally and obviously physically, um, how we change what we do. But I wouldn't personally change. If I went back into now, the boys' game, I wouldn't change anything I'm doing now compared to what I'm doing with the, the, the obviously the women or the girls because it's, mis- it's the same coaching style. You're just trying to adapt in terms of for the physical components of those players. Absolutely. And, and kind of taking then what, you, what you're basically saying, what you do with the, the girls into the boys, I'm just trying to take it out on a, on a, on a, a broader scale now and, and keeping you in the kind of girls game on a global scale. You, yeah. you, you find yourself doing coaching in, in the US and Canada yourself, other parts of the world, Martin. You know, tell me your experiences with, with, within the girls' game of what you've seen uh, being delivered in, in other kind of, you know, parts of the world that have kind of, you know, opened your eyes, excited you and, and seen things kind of done differently. That's kind of, you know, giving you a little bit of, you know, optimism and hope for the future of the girls' game. I think in terms of Canada and the US, it's, it's big over there anyway. I think that it's really big in terms of globally over there. Um, Canada was a good one when I went over um, to see what they were doing over there and um, they, they've got a lot of girls teams have a lot of girls participating which is brilliant to see the girls were, they were decent footballers they played well they were competitive with the boys I remember when I was over there and they'd done an in-house game with the U14s girls team played the U13 boys and ended up finishing as a draw and it was was a surprise to probably some parents yet yeah, because they're probably expecting the boys to beat them but the girls were capable of holding on to the ball well, they were technically proficient, they physically matched the boys on the pitch in terms of running, maybe not in terms of close-up duels and being robust, but yeah. they were able to physically hold their own in terms of running mechanics and things like that. Um, and then from the US, it's the same, it's huge. So we're probably, in England, we're not going to be, we're probably playing catch-up to some of them countries, I'll be deadly honest, um, because of how late we've, we've kind of promoted and pushed and driven the women's game. Um, from over there, it, they're huge and over in England now we've got to we've got to play catch up and try and catch up to them and I think we are and I think we're pushed going in the right direction it'll only get bigger but I think we've got to make sure that it, it, we do things right and we keep driving and I think that gives me a lot of when I look at what they do in the US what they've done in Canada and when I've been over there and seen it it gives you a lot of hope now knowing from where it was when I first come into the women's game to where it is now that gives me a lot of hope and optimism to kind of go we're going in the right direction it's going to get bigger and you want to be a part of it. And it's only going to make a better future for if it's our own kids, if it's a part of a family member, and if you can get them involved now in terms of into sport. Um, it's only going to get better. And people who now down the line, and if you're looking 10 or 15 years down the line, if it's gone as quick as it has in the last, what, seven years I've been involved in it, if it's gone that quick now and it's got that big, I can say in another seven years it would be drastically bigger and you'd want to be a part of that, especially if you're a young player. You've got a bright future coming through and, I think that's where the, you can kind of promote that with players is look how far we've come now and look where we're going. And if you want to be a part of that, then you've got a big, obviously, opportunity ahead of you. And let's, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep on this subject. It's really important that, you know, we're, let's, let's be honest, the US has been, you know, a powerhouse, you know, yeah. for, for nearly 30 years now, yeah. dominating most World Cups and so on. And, you know, current world champions, you know, what do, do you think that other countries are starting to bridge the gap over over these years now and, and get closer in terms of kind of coaching quality, player player quality, and all the other kind of you know surrounding factors? Um, do you think we are bridging the gap? And and if we are, uh, when we say if, not just like 
England, but other countries, if they are, what kind of factors is it that is kind of bridging that gap a little bit closer to either competing with the US or even potentially kind of knocking them off the pitch because they're so strong? Yeah, I think, do you know what I think we are? I think the gap is definitely bridging to 100%. And as I said, that comes down to off the pitch stuff, how we've commercially pushed and how we've marketed it. What we're doing on the pitch is obviously a key part because we've got a real, real strong model in England now in terms of the league, the Women's Super League and the Women's Championship. Um, you're getting a lot of young players involved in the game now. And what you're able to do now with both leagues growing and having more teams, you're able to keep a lot of your your high potential players in England and not see them going over to the US for scholarships where when they finish a scholarship, if you're looking at a top high potential player, they can then look at going into the NWSL or getting going in the draft, which it, which obviously then takes them away from being over here um, where you lose that, obviously that little bit of quality in your league at times. Um, so what it's enabled us to do, I think, are we bridging the gap yet? What, how are we bridging it? Because we've grown and pushed and developed it commercially and marketed it well. We've got real strong staff and coaches in place in the league. Yeah, um, got the right people in the right jobs in certain positions to who want to push it and drive it and make it bigger. Um, but I'd probably say the big why we're bridging the gap more is because of the quality of player that we're getting through now. And as I go back to what I said before, is the quality of players coming through is because of the staff that are doing it from a young age group all the way through in, within your system in your club. But then we're getting real top class, world class coaches working at the top end as a head coach and a manager. Um, that's a, enabling. Um, those clubs to kind of invest in national players. So if you look at all the international players that are coming over from Europe or obviously worldwide, um, you're getting top players. Like you're looking at the likes of Chelsea, you just signed Sam Kerr, who was over in the US, was in Australia, and now she's made the decision to come into the UK. If you look at the side City, Chelsea, Arsenal, put together Manchester United, Liverpool, if you go through them all, Reading, there's a lot of international and European players that want to come over and play in this league now. And that's got to be. Down, for, down to the obviously the infrastructure that clubs are creating, how much they're pushing and supporting those women's teams. But the staff, they're not going to come over and work with a manager or a coach or a set of staff, a group of staff that don't feel like can develop under. Um, and I think that's probably the big part of so the, 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 the staff they've got in place and the infrastructures within the club now are getting bigger and bigger because it's growing. Um, I think that's where you're going to see a lot more players from Europe and abroad, further, further afield, will start to come over. And you look at the likes of a big, big name in the women's game in the US in terms of um, Carly Lloyd coming over and playing for Manchester City. That's a huge pull in terms of she's come over and witnessed where the game where game is and where it's going. And she gave really, obviously, she spoke really highly of what it was like at Manchester City. And how it was like, like under Nick, obviously, Nick Cushion playing for him. And I think if you look at that now, we've attracted the name like that um, to come over. Is it going to get bigger yet? Are we bridging the gap yet? Because a lot of those US players are starting to come over and start wanting to be a part of these teams in this WSL. And I think if we keep pushing the way we are and we keep getting top-level coaches in and we keep promoting the game, I think you'll see the gap get smaller and smaller. And then what you'll start to see is you'll see this league become the pioneer in women's football um, with it growing and having more teams, but then growing and having the best players. And what you want is like the Premier League. You want the best, you want the best players over here with more teams so we can see the best football being played. And then the UK has two really, really strong leagues in a female and obviously a men's point of view. Yeah. And, you know, we're, we're talking about players coming over from the US now. Uh, Carly Lloyd, you know, huge name. What a name that is to, to kind of bring over and so on. And, you know, Seven Elite Academy, we're, we're really lucky uh, last year. Yeah. And, you know, we, we sent 
four of our own girls uh, from Seven Elite Academy over in Utah to, to, to come over and, and be around uh, Liverpool Football Academy, uh, Girls Academy, along with yourself. Now, like, I know the experience and, and what it's done for them so far and, and obviously keeping in you know, close communications with them and, and speaking about that experience and utilising that to kind of grow their own game. How was yeah. it for you to, to, to work with them players, Martin? And, uh, you know, what was the, the feedback and what was the advice that you, you give to them four girls? Oh, you know, it was brilliant in terms of being able to give them an opportunity and to be around a different environment, as you said, um, somewhere obviously you'd worked previously, which was, was obviously key for you to sit. To, obviously, you probably expressed to them how big the club was. Um, with them for them to come in and work with us and our staff when we were there, um, giving them the, the little inklings and the little areas of how much depth we go into around if that was sports science around what we do in terms of testing and what that looks like at a technical level, what we expect from each player. Um, and then they obviously got the opportunity then to come and train with us in terms of they had three or four sessions with us and be, giving them that experience of what it's like at their own age group over in England. Um, what are the differences in what well, obviously the, the similarities to what they have back home and they're a pleasure to work with four really down-to-earth players, four really good players um, and probably, you know what, they had probably a lot more strength in terms of physically than what we do over in England. They're well-built, they're strong, they're quick. Um, some of them dealt with the ball better than some of our players. Some of ours dealt better with the ball than they did. Mm. Um, but it was a good experience because they've probably never come out of their environment before and they've come into a complete unknown. And they're coming into probably one, as you said, one of the biggest clubs in world football. They're coming into one of probably the best academies around when we, when we were there. And um, they were a pleasure to work with. Yeah, a pleasure to work with and work really hard. And um, do you know what? Moving forward, they just need to keep doing the right things. Keep working hard, keep doing. And the biggest thing for me is doing one percenters that people don't do. So I'm doing that extra work off the pitch. I'm doing that physical work. I'm yeah. doing that technical work that people don't do off the pitch. Am I eating right? Am I recovering right? Am I resting right? And if you do all these one percenters and you, you give yourself the best opportunity with no stones unturned, I think they give themselves a good chance to have a career. Um, but it's doing those little bits that no one else sees you doing that you might not want to do. Um, but no, they're a pleasure to work with and you've just got to keep doing what they've, they've been doing because obviously they're in, a, they're in the position they're in for what they've been doing. But well, how can they add to that sort of... How can they add another layer to it now and take the game to another level is is by doing those extra bits of work and probably the best players, as you know, I'm working with them is the best players that ask more questions. Don't be afraid to ask a question and want to learn. Um, yeah. Just how you how, how we all learn. We, we don't know what we know now without asking questions. And um, that's probably a big thing for me for young players is don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to express yourself in terms of your personality. But go and do those one percenters that other players might not be doing in your position or someone you're competing against to give yourself the best opportunity. That when you walk away from a game or you decide to do something else or take a different career path, if that's coaching or a different one within sports or football, that you know you've given yourself every chance to, to succeed in it and not coming away with any sort of buts or what-ifs. Do you know what? And that's, it's, it's huge, isn't it? We talk about the 1%. We heard this quite a bit now within you know, the high end of the, the academy systems and the, you know, the professional first teams, whether it's the, the women's game, whether it's the men's game, the 1%. Yeah. And we can't stress enough, I don't think the 1% in this kind of current situation that we're in now from yeah. COVID-19 play a massive part. You know, something could even turn into 2%, all depending yeah. on what it is, your player profile, your workouts, what you're doing to, to you know, benefit yourself for when you get back on the pitch, the watching the games, 
you know, the, the YouTube videos, watching your, your player role models and so on. Right. It's massive, isn't it, man? The, yeah. the 1% stuff. But no, I, I think from speaking to our players and, and kind of getting the self-reflection from them, from the experience, I think the big one for them, what they learned um, in, in, in terms of kind of comparing not only just their own game, but the game as a whole in the, in the US, the youth game, to what they witnessed and experienced over here at Liverpool Academy was the, uh, the, the mental strength of some of the players, yeah. um, especially obviously playing, the, the hunger, the desire, the, the competitiveness yeah. to, to get on the ball. Yeah. Um, but then also, you know, the technical part of the game, the 1v1 yeah. domination, you know, the, the, the receiving, the side moves, the attacker moves, and, you know, just enjoying the ball, embracing the ball. I think they were the big things um, that our four players definitely took away and have tried to adapt and adopt kind of, you know, mental strength within their own game. Yeah. More desire, more hunger, winning mentality, you know, uh, at all times, not just game yeah. day, in everything. Um, whenever there's competition, whether it's in warm-up to, to the cool-down, it just it, it embeds within their game completely. So, yeah. you know, again, you know, we can't thank you enough, Martin, for, and Liverpool Football Club as well for, for that experience. And, uh, you know, we, we hope, like you said, taking more players out of their kind of current bubble into kind of Un, you know, uncomfortable kinds of zones, which will then make them a better. Yeah, yeah. yeah, again, we can't thank you enough for that experience, and and hopefully, there's going to be more experience like that for for our players, for when whenever football resumes, <laughs> whatever that yeah, will be. Well, yeah, you know, and uh, it's it's great to hear. And, and one final question to to kind of wrap it all up for you, Martin. We've talked, and this has been brilliant, by the way. Great insight into. Yourself, the girls' game, the academy system, uh, system, the coaching that's going on, and and the growth of the game. One final question then: If you did have a crystal ball, you know, how do you see the game um, being in ten years' time? Because I know it's always one thing that any youth coach should always kind of look down the line: what what is the game going to look like from first team level, and then how are we going to prepare our academy players? For, for, for being in that game for, for in the future. How do you see it going, Mark? I think, I think you'll look, I think you'll have, it's hard to probably predict it all. And you're probably looking at what you'd expect or what you'd want to see. Probably yeah. potentially is the right way probably to put it for myself is you probably want to see a more efficient and effective league in terms of the growth and wealth of it. You want to see where there are 12 teams now. Can we be at 18, 20 within 10 years? Can we have a real strong aligned league that enables us to play more games enables us to have more obviously competition um, can we have obviously bigger better English players coming through the system that are given opportunity can we have obviously more homegrown players coming through that are available to play for England and obviously be part of that Lioness squad if that's youth level or that's senior level um, can we have obviously more sponsorship and back and behind that like the Premier League do do we have more partners and global partners that want to support and want to be part of it. Do we have a lot of the best up-and-coming talents, whether that's youth talent or that's real role models in the women's game from Europe and further afield wanting to come and play in England? And we have the biggest and best league we've got in terms of in England now. We have a Premier League and a Women's Super League that are the two pioneers and the two driving forces in women's and men's football for leagues. And that's what you'd hope it wants to be in terms of down the line, in terms of... And we get some sort of which I think the publicity and the, the markets, not from a commercial point of view, is like the Premier League does. Do we get do we get weekly games on the TV? 
that obviously will enhance the an audience and will bring in an audience. Do we get crowds in terms of that as a selling out? Do we get five, six, seven, eight, ten thousand in terms of watching games because we've grown it so big and we've got that much profile in terms of player? Yeah, um, and that's where you'd hope you want it to be down the line. And I've got no doubts with the people involved in it now. Uh, you can hope we can go that way. And if I can play my one percent part, Jordan, that to, to support that growth of it, um, I will do. But that's what you want to hope that. We're getting aligned and we're getting closer to where the Premier League is now in terms of yeah. off the pitch, in terms of the numbers we have in the league and the players we can attract to it. Brilliant, man. Man, listen, this uh, this has been brilliant. Again, we really, really appreciate your, your time and so oh, on. Anytime. You know, we uh, we wish you the you know the very best of luck um, with your, your current new uh, adventure at Manchester United. Uh, we we hope. You know, you you have a you know a great future there for, like I said, when the football resumes and uh, awesome, yeah. it's uh, it's always always a pleasure speaking to you, Martin. So uh, I'm sure for all the listeners, uh, they've they've taken a lot from this uh, Seven Elite Academy online masterclass session. So thanks again, Martin. I appreciate you. Thank you very much. All the best. Cheers, and thank you very much.